0: Hey, everybody, when you hear that music, you know it's time for yet another great episode of On the Ladders Out of Baseball, and uh, now we don't have any baseball, we don't have any spring training, we don't have any pitchers and catchers. What we do have today, in a little while, is uh, none other than uh, one of the great announcers of all time, Uh, none other than my good friend, uh, Dwayne Stats. Dwayne will be joining me here in a little while, and that'll be fun, and uh, in the meantime, we'll do a little bit of... uh, preparation for Dwayne what a great year he had again another playoff run by the Tampa Bay Rays and uh you know Randy rosarina continues to be one of the great guys rookie of the year not the highest paid I mean all of a sudden they they signed a kid for uh yeah I think he had 100 games in the major leagues and they signed him for a $142 million. We'll talk to Dwayne about that. We'll talk to Dwayne about the lockout. We'll talk to Dwayne about the Hall of Fame. We'll talk to Dwayne about just anything and everything. So we are looking forward to that. I hope everybody's doing well. It's a little bit chilly here in Kansas City, although they await the arrival of the Buffalo Bills for the playoff game on Sunday night. Uh, 5.30 start a little earlier at Arrowhead, but the uh, temperature supposed to be in the mid-40s. Shouldn't be too bad. Chiefs are ready. Uh, although Josh Allen had mo- one of the more incredible performances in the history of the NFL the other day during the playoffs as he just destroyed uh, the neighboring New England Patriots without Tom Brady. I'm sure Brady loves it. They can't win a playoff game without Tom. Tom can't lose a playoff game and uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a mystery. But that is uh, that is the NFL. This is not the lighter side of football. This is the the lighter side of you-know-what. So what's been going on? Hall of Fame voting is going on. Will Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, um, Schilling, uh, David Ortiz, any of these guys get in the steroid time? I don't know. Uh, The rumor is Ortiz will get in. Uh, Bonds and Clemens are, you know, neck and neck. They should get near 75%. I don't think they'll get over the hump, but maybe they will. I don't know. Does it matter? Do we care anymore? Yeah, sort of. Are there other cheaters in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I think there are. But, you know, from Ty Cobb to um, Gaylord Perry to some of the other guys rumored to do certain things, mm, come on, baseball knew about it. And uh, if you're going to let those guys, if you're going to let Ortiz in, how do you keep Bonds out? I'm sorry. Uh, Really, what's the distinction? Now, um, with Ortiz, like Sosa, the fact that they used PEDs came out in what was supposed to be a confidential um, exercise uh, in conjunction with the United States Congress doing an investigation into performance-enhancing drugs. So, you know, I would let in Sosa... McGuire, and Bonds, and Clemens, and Ortiz, and Rose. I've changed. Flipped. 180. Flipped. If you're going to allow gambling, you got to let Rose in. If you're going to allow any of these guys in that use greenies or grease or saliva or cheated, that's part of baseball. Is that an unwritten rule? I don't know. Who knows? I just think that Um, it's a fun, it's a fun area. I mean, it's a fun topic. And I've been going through my 1953 baseball cards. That's been a blast. Uh, it was kind of post-World War II for you history nuts. It was, uh, during Korea. And so you end up with a bunch of guys you've never heard of. Uh, the 1953 set has only 280 cards. Well, 280 numbers. Uh, there were some that did not get released and Mickey Mantle, uh, is one of the big cards, as you might guess. And, you know, can't have enough Mantle cards. I also have been going through my 1958 top set. It's pretty cool. It's really cool. Been pulling out some of these guys to keep them, preserve them in a little better condition. And my cards are whatever is opposite of mint. That's my cards. But Nellie Fox, Louis Aparicio, Jim Rivera, Jim Landis, Ted Klauszewski goes on to the 59 White Sox, Jerry Staley. They're all there. I mean, you can you can run down. they are guys that went on to uh, pitch for the White Sox, Billy Pierce, Dick Donovan, Ray Herbert. I'd forgotten all about Ray Herbert, but I'm telling you what, it is really good. So, you know, we're kind of looking at that. We're kind of going to talk to just hearing Dwayne is going to be great because um, it's not looking like baseball is going to start on uh, – March 31st or whenever opening day is because these guys how ridiculous. is! I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm just going to tell you it's stupid and ironic that these guys want to make some more money for the younger guys. Well, then don't take as much as you're getting. You know, it's pretty simple. Um, yeah. The are, oh, you know, we need more money for the younger guys. Although I just signed for $43 million. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, it was MLK uh, celebration. And at that point, uh, the baseball network starts looking at getting into a little bit of the uh, history of Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby and the Negro leagues and da, 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 da. And uh, you know, Kenny Williams who's an African-American was a client of pro sports Inc. company owned by myself and David Earl Nelson Uh, It produced one major leaguer, and he was an expo, Nelson Santovania. Anyway, we've talked about it. We'll get back to Pro Sports Inc. someday because it's kind of funny. That's the lighter side of baseball. That's before the business got really bad. And that's the agency business. Anyway, um, so where were we? We were talking about Pro Sports Inc. We were talking about Nelson Santovania. And we were talking about the greedy players. So, I don't know. It's not looking good. Not looking good at all for baseball on time. Uh, they just can't get out of their own way. And, and what a shame. Because they just, I don't know. It just seems like it's, um, what am I searching for? Kind of. It's hard to feel sorry for anybody. But the owners of the game, nobody's, nobody's taking a bath. You know, minor leaguers are starting to get money. And uh, you got to have some motivation to get to major leagues with some extra money in your pocket. But the uh, situation is kind of sad. They've had one meeting since the lockout started in six weeks. And there's no meeting scheduled. Now I know they're working behind the, you know, the scenes trying to come up with something. But And there'll be baseball. I mean, I don't know if it'll start in April, but God, are these guys just come on. It it, uh, defies logic, really does. So anyway, God, dog, there's got to be something good going on. They can't sign free agents. They can't do arbitration. They can sign uh, guys from the international ranks. And uh, they all did. Every team signed a signed the um, international player, including the Cubs. And uh, the Yankees got the number one guy. Uh, I think it's our Arias uh, shortstop from the Dominican or from Cuba. And, um, you know, they're getting big money. Everybody's getting big money. Nobody's really going through the breadline complaining about the life in the minor leagues anymore. I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, um there's nothing that's very encouraging on the, on the labor front, but we'll see. We'll see. I am uh, still tickled pink about the guys that did get in, Manny Minoso and Tony Oliva and Gil Hodges, finally. That was good, so we talked about that a little bit before. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, you know, some fun things with Dwayne. Just can't wait to get him on the line and he'll be with us in a few minutes. So while we are waiting for Dwayne, we're gonna hear a little music, take a little break, and when we come back, we will have one of my good friends and great voice of the Tampa Bay Rays, none other than Dwayne Stats for Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, iTunes, and numerous uh, anywhere you can get a podcast, you can get the live side of baseball. We're going to try in April to get out to Papa Kinos for some live entertainment. We're going to do that. Been talking about it. We're done talking. We're going to do that. Uh, and so, so be it. And uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good year. I promise we'll have baseball, and uh, I guarantee it. And so be it. So, break time, little music, little break dance, get down, get funky get whatever you want to get, get a beer, get a Coke, uh, get some popcorn, a hot dog, because on Saturday and Sunday, it's the best weekend in the NFL, the four best games of the year. And so the Chiefs take on the the Bills, Tennessee uh, takes on Cincinnati. That's going to be great. And then you got the uh, NFC with, uh, I don't know who's playing. Um, I guess the Rams, the Bucks, and the Packers, and um, some other team. (laughs) Oh my God! And then the Bears, no, the Bears—they just they can't get out of their own way. They are so bad. They, they, they just not only can they not get a GM or a, a coach and haven't forever, or a quarterback, but they just can't get out of their own way. And they put McCaskey out there. They need a PR guy. They need, they need something. Anyway, that's it. That lighter side of the Bears. There you go. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes with my good buddy Dwayne. So hold on, don't go anywhere. Later. All right, I heard the little lady say this meeting is being recorded. As promised, I got my good buddy, Dwayne Stass. We are on live here on the lighter side of baseball. The premier podcast in the in the entire industry. How are you doing, man? It's you and me and no hey, lease.
1: I, I wouldn't be on this if it wasn't a premier podcast. I'll tell you what. So I'm, I'm counting on you to carry the load.
0: You are you're the pioneer, man. The a uh, pioneer on this thing. I'm I'm ready. I've gained some weight. I'm ready to carry. I'm carrying my own load, man. Oh my god. Diet eat. Diet eat. So here we are. Uh, we haven't spoken since the Rays made their playoff run, albeit it didn't last too long. But um, man, oh man, that Randy Arozarena—not only the best name in baseball, but geez, he just had another good year.
1: Yeah, he did. You know, it was interesting. I was recently reading an article about all of the outfielders, the young outfielders the Cardinals had, and how they had to get rid of them. You know, they—they yeah. just didn't have room, and uh, he was one of them who they decided to move, you know, they, they got a pretty good young pitcher in, in return for him. And so they got something back really that over time will pay off. But uh, he was, he was instant here with, uh, with the Rays and, and, you know, has became a favorite because of the, the enthusiasm that he has. And he, he is an interesting, uh, interesting talent. You know, he, he gets to be a little aggressive sometimes and, if you get too aggressive, you know, that can be an issue, but uh, he's, long and short of it, he's been uh, a great contributor, and a lot of fun to watch.
0: I'll tell you what, though, he is fun to watch, and and you can be over-aggressive, and get away with it, or you can be stupid, uh, stupidly aggressive. He seems (laughs) to be uh, really over-aggressive sometimes in an entertaining way. It's not like he's, He's turning into Javi Baez and doing just, you know, checking your brain at the door. Um, <laughs> now that Javi's gone from my cubbies, I guess I can cut him down. <laughs> oh, my God. But the, uh, uh, you know, it's the first call I've ever gotten. McKay. And yeah,
1: we're not taking calls yet.
0: Uh, so stay on the call. line oh, we'll oh, take oh, your hey, calls when uh, hey, we get uh, to that just, part of the show. <laughs> uh, I answered the phone, Dwayne. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, You have a question? You want to ask Your a question
1: answer? or comment, please?
0: <laughs> Comments later. <laughs> he says, love you, bye.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, good. Hey, it's great that you have uh, an audience that loves well,
0: you. She said this was kind of going slow at the beginning. She wanted to call and pump it up a little bit. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's always fun. I, I wish we caught up more than we do. But anyway, Um and then $142 million from the cheapest team in uh, baseball to this uh, rookie who, what, he had 150 at-bats?
1: Yeah, I know. I, it's pretty amazing. And and I, I think, you know, they've done some of that before, not nothing like this, yeah. but they haven't had a talent like this either. You know, and, and it's always a roll of the dice. You know, I, I mean, even established players, in the major leagues, you know, and suddenly they're eligible and they get a big contract that doesn't work out. So there's always that roll of the dice. But um, I I think, uh, I think you have to do it. You know, you just have to do it now.
0: This is a team that averages 50 million a year for the entire payroll. And they've (laughs) had nothing but studs on their team. I mean, it's an unbelievable how they do that, but to dump, all that money on this, what's your scouting report? Is he this, he must be good. Yeah, I
1: think he is. I I really do. Uh, You know, you're always concerned about young players and when it, when it happens so quickly, what does that do to them? What does it do to the work ethic? What does it do to the concentration and all of that um, we've seen in a lot of cases where young guys get distracted by all that. And I, to me, that would be the challenge, you know. He's got to stay healthy, and that's true of everybody. If he stays healthy and continues to be what he is, um, and and doesn't become distracted with all of the people around him and the hangers-on, and you're going to have that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but if if he can avoid that, I mean, he's a legitimate talent. There's no question about that. And you know, their their deal is they're going to have them. I mean, how many of these long-term contracts do they, you know, lifetime deal? Well, lifetime is not always with this club. Right. So I I think they factor that in as well. And there will be as time goes by and he continues to um, progress and be what he can be. I, I think, I think they feel pretty, pretty safe in that regard. Uh, it's, you know it, it's always going to be a challenge and and a roll of the dice when you sign anybody to a long-term deal a lifetime deal and all that but I, I think they know that if they work it right there's always an escape hatch and and that's been part of their routine i, I think uh, I, I think we've seen that before and I think we're gonna we're gonna see that continue with clubs that aren't in giant Markets and have you know great uh, uh, great
0: amounts of money. It seems one of the challenges and you alluded to it is like um, human nature. I mean, they they're. Let's say you have ten stars from Bryce Harper to whoever, and you pay them all three hundred million dollars. One of those ten guys is going to go. You know what? I'm going to get paid whether I you know hit two twenty or three <laughs> twenty. Yeah, and you know, you to your credit have gotten all that money being a broadcaster, but it didn't stop you, buddy. I mean, (laughs) you have continued.
1: Let me just tell you how many times I've wished that I didn't have a guy named Jamie as my agent early, (laughs) you know, he could have gone in there and really made money for both of us. But, you know, instead we were just friends and now here we are on a podcast.
0: Exactly. I mean, we were going to write a book and then you, you actually have the audacity to research the, the the field of the guy that's come up one time, one one day in the in the sun, and then you found out somebody had maybe made a full length feature film about that. That shot us down. Still- yeah, there've been way
1: more people who did that than we thought. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: I I, I John Pachoric, I thought, boy, how about this this guy with the Colt 45s, You know, yeah. but there were a lot of them.
0: Oh. Let's talk about the Colt 45s. What a great what well, let's do. You know, baseball was much more fun way back then. I know you've got to keep it fun for your for your profession, but um God, I I'm going through these baseball cards and I'm looking at Ray Herbert. Now, you know, I hadn't thought about Ray Herbert in a in a forever or Bill or Billy Bruton or all these guys. You I know you're not as big a collector as I am. You collect you collect uh, ladies and gentlemen, he collects valuable stuff. I collect cardboard. <laughs> hey,
1: no, let me tell you, I've got right here in my office, just to my left, I've got my baseball cards starting in 1959. Yeah. And, you know, through that childhood up until, you know, 67, 68, where you try to get all the sets, you know, you we, we ruined our, our uh, yeah. nature's dental work on us because of all the chewing gum that we uh, consumed buying those pack by pack, you know, yeah. and we would, uh, we'd save our money and go down to the you know, little neighborhood store and buy a whole box of yeah. their baseball cards. And then, you know, then we had like 13 doubles of like
0: 20 guys, you know? And, and it was always like Rip Rapolsky is the guy that would be the, you know, <laughs> where is my double of Mickey Mantle? Uh, I, know, I really? Yeah. Kirk Loud. But yeah, um, yeah no, I, got. Here it is
1: i look 50 at you
0: yeah see i mean so
1: those like kind of predate some of mine because you're i mean those are uh, totally.
0: i'm a lot mid, older
1: mid to late 50s right
0: yeah so yeah. um but i, I got into the, the the like the 52s are ridiculous but the 53 tops are so pretty you know they're kind of an artist rendition so yeah. it's also the smallest set 280 cards yeah. and um, interestingly, it's in post World War II and during Korea. And so, I'm telling you what—you'll go through page after page after page. And I'm going—I'm a—I'm a baseball fan. I've never heard of these guys. I'm, <laughs> they're coming. But um, no, I'm glad you're into it. I don't know if we've ever—I love it. Yours. I bet oh, your collection's more organized than mine.
1: Well, and I've—I've I've got them finally after all these years. You know, in in numerical order year to year you know i got one of those big folders and and one folder fits both 59 and 60 yeah and then as as you know i got a little older and got some uh, walking around money i could buy more cards and so now each folder pretty much is you know one year of cards and i've got those you know 62 3 4 5 6 7 you know those somewhere in there
0: cards man so, you know up through about 76, they're spectacular cards, and then all yeah. of a sudden, you know, they get into the 80s, and then you get into all the proliferation of the different companies. And then, uh, uh it's you know, it's fascinating. I didn't know, uh, Cy is it burger I didn't know, yeah, Cy at all, but um, I know Dave Nelson, you know, they've everybody loved Nelly, but uh, that's right, that's right, I know, but um uh, I just, I just, I've got so much crap and, and, uh, it's fun to watch, to look at, but, um, you know, it's just, and with you, you've had so many opportunities and I, I imagine, I'm just guessing that, um, you could have probably gotten a lot more stuff if you had had any desire to do that.
1: Yeah, I could have, you know, there, there are a few things that I have and, uh, you know, a lot of them relate to to moments that I've had a chance to cover and things like that. And so I've got, uh, you know, from Nolan Ryan's record-breaking no-hitter, uh, when he threw his fifth no-hitter with the Astros against the Dodgers, uh, Leroy Neiman did a, uh, you know, he did a whole serigraph series on that. So I have, I have one of those, and then I've got photos from that uh, – from that game that Nolan signed for me, things like that, you know, that are, that are cool. cool. I'm sorry.
0: I said, they're really cool. I mean, for me, you know, the distinction is I'm just a, just a a fan who, you know, caddied for Nelly and happened to get some memorabilia along the way. And my dad was a huge white Sox fan. So I, you know, 59 rolls, but you lived it. I mean, and that makes it that much cooler that, um, you did that. Did you keep your scorebooks and, and stuff like that?
1: I do. I, I actually have, um, I had, and I, I hope that I can put it together. I had every scorebook and every scorecard in those books of every game I ever did in the major leagues, even some in the minor leagues. And um, I, I don't know if it was I'd have to check because I have a suspicion that I've, that I've misplaced a couple of those books, which drives me crazy. I'm, I'm just, you know, that uh, compulsive enough to have that matter to me, but I did. I had every game that I've ever broadcast, I think. Wow. Including some spring training games. Um, in fact, I just got a, a photo, uh, Gene Elston's uh, son, Kim, who, uh um, I think in 1963, was a bat boy for the Colt 45s.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, and I, and I was just very jealous of him at the time. And then when I joined the Astros and Kim uh, has been a cameraman, worked on telecast across the country and is now retired. But he ran across a photo from Cocoa, Florida of Larry Durker, Gene Elston, and me uh, on the infield at, at the Cocoa Stadium. And, and sent that to me. I just got it like two or three days ago, which is really cool. And I
0: That's took awesome.
1: a little photo, sent it over to darker you know, and Larry's going, boy, those were great years. And I'm going, uh, yeah, the best, you know. I mean, we were we were full of vinegar back then, you know. No, so it was no. cool. It's great to have those.
0: How spectacular. Those, those memories are, you know, so great back then. But, you know, then they're continuing for you. I mean, you've had... Um, because of your great skill and talent, man, are a lot of opportunity. You know, it's the way I kiss your ass there, just for a minute. <laughs> but um, no, it's like, yeah, I think you're a great
1: guy, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and you've got my job, damn it. But anyway, that's okay, that's all right. The uh, uh, it, it, it's it's hard to uh, hard to go back to the cold forty fives, but God, you know, back. But well, that was pre Astrodome, pre painting the yeah. ceiling of the Astrodome, and uh, Boy, oh boy, Houston's just had an interesting. They've had an interesting history, as have the uh, Rays. Is is there any chance, if you look into a crystal ball, that Tampa Bay will actually um, f- field a payroll of uh, you know eighty to a hundred million within ten percent of the average, or are they just destined to try to get in with whatever they do?
1: Well, I I, I think you have a chance you know, to see, to see that payroll increase a bit. And, and there have been times when it's increased a little bit, but those were times when other clubs increased a lot, you know, and and it's going to be interesting now to see what comes out of, uh, I was talking with a guy the other day, you know, about the whole new contract situation that, that we're looking at now. And I mean, you know a lot about that from your experience in terms of how you handle that. And, and I, I think, you know, we always hope for the best. And I think given the, the pandemic and everything that, that we've gone through, uh, the game has been great that it's, it's been able to be a part of people's lives during that stretch. But if they're not careful with this labor situation, owners and players – they're going to turn off a lot of people unless they get their acts together. And here's the issue, I think. Ownership is always going to try to be hardline. Uh, that's the nature of ownership. I actually think from the player end, uh, you have Tony Clark and those guys who are running the Players Association. I think everybody from the player's point of view, following Marvin Miller they live in his shadow and that's a big shadow. He was not a tall guy, but boy, what a big shadow he cast. And I think half the guys who play the game have no idea who he was or what he actually did for the players. His story and what he did is one of the greatest stories of our whole society. What he did, and what what those players were paid before then, I, I was picked up. I'm kind of re, I, I read two or three books at, at a time sometime, and and a friend of mine gave me uh, Jim Hawkins' book on Al Kaline because there was not a better guy in the world than Al Kaline. What a yeah wonderful guy he was.
0: But now you see if we were on live TV, man, I could be your I could be your guy. There's Kaline's. There he is. Decade. Yeah.
1: <laughs> How cool. Yeah. But you know, he never made over a hundred and three thousand dollars in his entire career in a single season and didn't make that until the last two years of his career. Now here's one of the greatest players of all time and one of the greatest gentlemen. He was not an egomaniac. I mean, he was, he was the guy you would want him to be your dad, your grandfather, you know, you you would want him to marry your daughter. He was like the best human being you could find. And he, he, I mean, he made a living, but nothing compared to what's happening today. And I think that's just a great example of what Marvin Miller set in place for all of these players. And I think all the all the guys who then become head of the players association, and especially like in Tony Clark's case, former player, you know uh, you can't help but have an ego connection where you you feel pressure if not outward then from within yourself to push things as far as you can and make it uh very difficult and and I think the balance there is. Sure, if you're a labor leader or if you're ownership and management, you have to push for the best deal you can get. But there comes a point where are you going to do damage to the product itself and the perception of the game? And the game's already battling some areas of right. walks and strikeouts and home runs, you know, the, the three outcomes of almost every at-bat right. and how long it takes and all of that. They have to address that because the game, the game, I don't think aesthetically with all the great athletes it has in the game now, better athletes now than ever before, but the game itself could be better, could be a better product than it is. And and that needs to be addressed. And you'd ideally love to see both sides address it. And I, you know, in an adversarial situation, labor and management, it's t- it's difficult to do that.
0: Well, you know the NBA certainly changed that um, a little bit in trying to form a partnership with the players, and it's it's worked to an extent. Hockey's kind of made that same deal, and and they had to because the money was drying up in the NHL. But with Marvin Miller, it, it's gone increasingly from Miller to Donald Fear to Clark. You know. Um, Marvin Miller was an experienced labor negotiator. Mm-hmm. And he, what he did was um, calculate it. He knew what his, the ends, where the end zone was. He knew how to get there. And he knew he was going to get there without getting all the f- points in the world at that one instance. And mm-hmm. he had inequity on his side you know, the minimum salary, you know, our good friend Nellie was like 6,000 bucks or whatever. They're all kind of crazy ends meet. And then Donald fear who got to know Miller through the Kurt flood litigation in Kansas city learned at the, I mean, he was his guy forever. And then fear got the chance and, in, and incredibly worked with Bud Selig who, you know, sold cars and, and made deals for a $100 profit. And all of a sudden, they figured out somewhere along the line, you know what? Instead of jacking with each other during the length of the CBA, let's work on the next one. And they finally had, what, 30 years of labor peace. And now, Tony Clark slash Scott Boris have this inferiority complex. And they've got the Arenados and the Scherzers of the world sitting there eating out of there, you know. Doing it—it's so infuriating, and and it's not good for the. You know, there's three groups: there's the owners, and the players, and the fans. And the fans, you know, are you going to have Sosa and McGuire to bail you out? And they—I mean—they spit on those two guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, so that's that's my concern. I'm just you know hoping for the best, and uh, you know, I think um, selfishly, I you know, I you know. I'd like to do this uh, until it's, uh, you know, less than fun. Um, so I'd love to have that to do. But I, sure. but beyond that, I mean, there's going to be a time in the, in the future when I'm going to sit back and just watch things as they progress. And I'd love to see the game be healthy. You know, I, I have a grandson who's a junior in high school, plays basketball and baseball. His dad played the big leagues. Uh, he's got a good sense of the game now and and he has some talent physically but you know so who knows you'd love to see that generation get a chance to be involved in a, in an enterprise that is still as grand and great as it is now and i I think we you know we i think we have to be aware of the viewers and fans and people who show up and follow these teams and and, uh, are emotionally vested in them. We, we can't lose sight of that. And so I hope somewhere along the line, you know, somebody does keep that in focus. You know, I think
0: however it gets resolved, whenever it gets resolved, um, the, the, the problem, one of the problems is, um, I, I don't know. I mean, Scott Boris keeps coming up in my mind because I think, um, you know, Clark's afraid of him. There's a bunch of big-name players that are with Boris. And so um, it, it seems to me they never should have gotten to this point. And once they got to this point, they haven't at least publicly shown any sense of urgency at all. And as a result um, – you know, you've got players, again, it, it, it really, it, as you know, and you've lived through a number of these work stoppages, it's the same, it's the same song. I mean, they're fill in the blank, and they're having a, this time, those guys are having a hard time coming up with something that's got traction for the public. It's not, I mean, when Scherzer signs for 43 million, and he goes, well, we need to strike so that the poor guys that are only here for a year or two, uh, make some money. Well, if you wouldn't, if you had said, "Hey, I got offered forty three. I'm going to take twenty because I want, I want the guys down below to make some of my money." Now that I could, then I could, I could deal with that. Ian yeah. Happ never hit more than two fifty. He's made a million a year, averaged out in his six years. for getting the signing bonus. You know. Yeah. So these mm-hmm. guys. It, it, There isn't any, oh, my God, they're not getting any money or their insurance sucks. So um, I don't know. I just think, well, the owners go, it's our game. You know, we're losing money, which is baloney.
1: Well, (laughs) we we go back to those, uh, you know, Al Kaline playing his whole career. And, uh, you know, these guys make way more in a year than he made his entire career.
0: You can go all the way as long as you collected baseball cards. That's right. Right. Up to Burt Campanaris, up to Reggie Jackson, up to whoever. And, you know, now, um, you know, Javi Baez signs for 40-something. I mean, it's just – that's all good. But for them to be moaning and groaning and going on strike, it's like, wait a minute. But getting back to a couple of the issues, four-hour games, it's just – they're losing – they're losing us, man, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know,
1: I <laughs> there's a friend of mine. I saw him yesterday. He's, he's a physician in town, and he's a big baseball fan. So, you know, I go, and while he's, you know, checking my temperature and blood pressure and all that, we're talking about baseball. And, um, and he's talking about one of the, the postseason games last year. He was, I think, in Dallas coming back here. So he's in Dallas, and he's – He's listening to the game, but but he can't go right to Tampa. He has to go to Miami first, so he goes to Miami. They, they land there. You still listen to the game. Then he gets on. They fly to Tampa. He's still listening. He goes home, and the game is still on. I mean, he, you know, he's covered half the country and changed planes a couple of times, and the game was still going. Well, yeah, something has to happen.
0: Right. I mean, that four-hour game was two-to-one. There was a two-to-one, yeah. four-hour game. Uh, yeah. It, it's – you know, and it's it, – nobody's going to cry over you're do, you're having difficulties with doing your job. But for – you know, for there's a pitch every 30 seconds maybe. There's a ball in play every once every 10 minutes it averages out. And it's like, what are you going to do? I mean, yeah. it, makes, it, it just – and to go to the ball game, and a 7 o'clock game, and it gets over at 10.30 on the average, yeah. it's like, yeah. come on. It's no fun. That's right. It's no fun. And, and
1: but, you know, you want to grow that, that younger group. Well, yeah. if, if you have games, you know, middle of the week, I mean, the kids can't watch all those games. Yeah. You know, as much as, you know, my two grandsons, I mean – they know more about sports across the board than I do. One's in eighth grade and one's a junior. Wow. You know, they want to watch all of that, but they can't. I mean, if if, if all of – if we grew up watching all the games that we wanted to and it took that long, I mean, you know, we, we would have all flunked out of school because we wouldn't have done any of our homework. I mean, all of that. So. Sure. You know, for the good of society and those poor, this generation, they have to do their homework. So we have to make the game shorter.
0: I think your grandkids and, and mine and everybody that's a baseball fan, a lot of that comes from fantasy, fantasy baseball, fantasy sports. They, yeah. These guys yeah. know the players because they're trading them and they're putting up their lineups and everything. Which oh, yeah. Is really, really cool. And then for the older people, what's saving yeah. baseball, ironically, is all the gambling. Guys, you know. Well, so the younger in- one
1: of the two, Zach, who's in eighth grade, he got involved in the fantasy football league with his brother and all his high school buddies. And right. the eighth grader kicked their tails.
0: <laughs> that's, <laughs> great, that's, great. That's, <laughs> great. that's funny. Hey, I was, I thought about you. I was, you know, again, not having anything to do on some of these nights, uh, I was driving somewhere with yesterday or the day before, maybe coming back from Chicago. Anyway, I flipped on MLB Network, and they had a beautiful, in terms of quality of the sound, 1944 game seven, the St. Louis Browns versus the St. Louis Cardinals from oh, St. Louis yeah. Park. And somebody at what, you know, Dizzy Dean was the broadcaster, I think, in that, that year. Yeah. Before Diz took over for the game, they had a a gentleman and I, for the life of me, I didn't catch his name. He spoke, it it was so colorful and so laid back. And the guy didn't take a breath for 20 minutes of game time talking about how the the, the pitcher looked a little chunky to him, but he looked pretty good when he was warming up in the bullpen. And you know, Sportsman's Park's got some proud. He he just, yeah. I mean, I'm like, keep talking. It was great. It was really. Well, they great.
1: had uh, you know, Franz Locks did yeah. their games, and um, and Gabby Street was uh, on their on their crew then.
0: Uh, so I mean, it had probably be, that mix. My God, I mean, you know, the first. The first guy up, uh, it was Game Seven, obviously. The Browns, you know, were the underdogs and a stepchild of baseball in St. Louis. And uh, so the first, the first batter up is Don Gutteridge, and Gutteridge is just playing second base for the Browns. And, yeah. and I think by then, whoever was broadcasting, it looked like when I went back to look at the chronology, it might have been Dizzy Dean, although it didn't sound quite as dizzyish. But yeah. uh, it steps Don He's three for eighteen. He is uh he is a, a he is uh dark complected kid, but he really, you know, that's like <laughs> <laughs> who's gonna talk oh, about literally. that nowadays? Yeah, right. really. He's on three for eighteen, he's got a double and he's really fast, but he's dark complected kid from Kansas. <laughs> and you know, here it is World War Two. You yeah. got all these guys, but obviously Gutteridge went on to uh uh, coach first base for the nineteen fifty nine White Sox pennant winning team, and one yeah. of my good friends' father is a barber, and he cut Guttridge's hair all the time down in in Baxter Springs, Kansas. <laughs> but I thought of you, and what a what a wonderful broadcast that was. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah.
1: Harry uh, Harry Carey once told me that when he was a kid, you know, he would I, I loved, uh, and I got a lot of this in spring training because we would. Sometimes we would ride in the same car and there were times when I would let him drive and sometimes I would drive, but um, he told me that uh, he was talking about when he was a kid in St. Louis growing up and um, how he, people talked about his, how he brought excitement to a game as a, as a broadcaster. And he, he told me that as a kid, he would listen to the Cardinal games and then, there were times when he would be able to go to a game or sneak into a game. And he said the game was so much more exciting for him when he saw the game and was there than when he listened on radio because the, the broadcast was so dry. Yeah. And, and that, he said, was the impetus for his whole approach where he made it, you know, bigger than life to the point of sometimes exaggerating. You know, we've talked before about you know, a guy might fall down and catch a fly ball, and it became a sensational diving catch, all of those things yeah. that he did. Yeah. But, you know, he sold the game. And um, and I, I, I think you always have to have credibility, but there's nothing wrong with having some fun with a game and selling the game.
0: It's so, you know, it's so important to developing fans. I mean, it just is. I, and I echo uh, what your good partner, Harry Carey, said. I grew up listening to Bob Elson. Yeah. And there couldn't have been you know, the the my dad would say, Well, he's really reading the Wall Street Journal while he's doing the game. You know? <laughs> and and then your buddy Milo Hamilton did the White Sox for a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: uh, after all that, Red Rush, who, you know, did Loyola oh, basketball yeah. and would speak in rhymes, whatever that's called. And yeah. uh, Corky Belly he soars, he scores, he's through for two, Loyola by four. The crowd wants more timeout, Marquette. I mean it's a <laughs> legendary. It didn't sell in baseball, but uh, it, it, that's that gets back to my pet peeve of uh, of uh, uh, Buck doing all the World Series games and the ratings plummet. People go, "Well, the ratings aren't really fair anymore because you have streaming." And I go, "Look, the I don't care if it's uh, Red Barber doing every game every year. All it's going to get stale and." You know, for the love of me, I don't know why they don't use you guys for instead of John Smoltz being there, or better yet, you and Smoltz do it. And uh, <laughs> yeah. to go Well, bless your heart. Football. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and, you know, I, I get it. Again, it's kind of a corporate mentality and, and all of that. Okay, fine. But um, I, I, I think the game is great one of the things that makes the game has made it so great is is the the fact that there's a local orientation and a regional orientation to the game as well as a national and and I think I I think if you can take part of that the the local or the regional and expose that to a national audience you know you could you could have the straight man from a national point of view but Let people get a sense. I I know that, you know, it may not have as big an impact now because mass media is everywhere, but it was a big deal in those days. if, If you were in the Midwest and you heard a guy from the Northeast and the way he did a game and a guy out West or in the South or wherever, it was different. You loved that. And I, I think there's still something to be said for that. And what I, what I see where, where they miss the boat there, I think they've attempted to supplant that with, with ego. And, you know, I, this guy's got to be more flamboyant or he's got to be whatever in an ego sense than just to be a genuine person who is from St. Louis or Brooklyn, or Texas or wherever you are, and just be that regional person doing the game, it's, as opposed to all the other
0: stuff. It so when, when and one nice thing about MLB Network uh, on the radios, you can get you can get every you can get every team's <laughs> games on the radio, and then if you have the MLB package. Now, This I know this is news to you because you are part of the package. And uh, <laughs> I think I've texted you or emailed you or left you a message that it's always, you know, great if I'm in Milwaukee on DirecTV, I can pick up the home games. They have you doing the home games. Um, but you know, give me Uke or give me Hamilton. Give me Dwayne Stats. Give me um, yeah. uh, um, Ray, Ray Miller or uh, Ray Scott or Ray anybody. Um, yeah. It's just it, 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 there's it's not that you're a homer, It's that you have all that knowledge you've built up since you, since the season since spring training, since the I mean, you're the knowledge and they just throw that out because that's the first time in World Series history that some catcher who's laid down a bunt, and thrown out a runner in the fifth inning, ever. It's just never <laughs> happened before. So, who cares? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, just because all the uh, sabermetrics has come into the analytics, they don't have to do that. I mean, I guess Smoltz doing it. Well, yeah. oh, you know, that's the four, 14th time in the whole time of Major League Baseball that a pitcher sacrificed bunt with the bases loaded. I mean, okay, that's great. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, you know, and, and here's the deal. I, I, I mean, we all – we bring our own perspective and our own background into it. But where I grew up in the Midwest, St. Louis area on the Illinois side. So, you know, we, we always felt inferior to St. Louis. It was way more sophisticated than the Illinois side, you know, St. But, Louis that. <laughs> well, I, but you know, but we were in Alton and East Alton and Wood River and those areas, but that area, that whole Midwest area there allowed me not only to listen to Harry Carey and Jack Buck and all the guys on the, who came through the Cardinal crew, but Gene Elston and Lowell Pass and Harry Callis with the Astros, Gene with the Colt 45s and Lowell, but I could pick them up. I could listen to Lou Boudreau and Vince Lloyd out of Chicago I could tune in Bob Prince from Pittsburgh, KDKA. I'd I pull in the, the Reds broadcast as well. So I could get half a dozen teams. And, and man, I was, like, all over that radio dial listening to all of them. And all of those guys were different. I mean, I it was, to me, when I heard the voice, you know, Bob Prince was Pittsburgh and Vince and Lou were Chicago just like Harry and Jack were St. Louis and, and Jean was Houston and Lowell pass who was, you know, he was a Southern guy, little corn pone in the way he did it. And whether you like that or not, that's what he did. And, and it was unique and identifiable. Yeah. So you got all of that, which I think, I think that blend made the game and the presentation of the game so much more interesting and better as opposed to, everybody is the same now it's homogenized and and that's what winds up with the network and i think okay i, I appreciate what the what the, the network guys do i really appreciate their talents i know what they're up against and what they have to do but if they threw these other guys in there i, right. I think it i think it as your, to your point i think it just makes the product better and i think baseball misses the boat there because it's it's still at its heart, it's a local regional game that you can expand to make it national. And, and it should always carry some of that local and regionality with it when it is exposed nationally.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the, one of the national networks has gone as far away from Harry Carey as you can be to where let's not talk about the game, Let's talk about what we had for dinner last week or what you did against the Reds in 1998 or how was Ken Griffey Jr. to be a teammate with. Oh, strike three. That retires the side. So it just, it, they've gone the other way. Like, oh, well, you know, on TV, they can see what's going on. You got to have dialogue. You got to have a guy that that has a good voice. that's fun to listen to familiarity. And, and uh, there are a lot of reasons that baseball... You know, and as you were listening to Bob Prince or Harry Kallis or those guys, the gets ten o'clock and the game's over. We're going to wrap it up and we'll get back to you tomorrow at the leadoff man. And yeah, oh, exactly. That's right. <laughs> oh my God! You know, I I looked at the uh, box scores from the '59 World Series and the the uh, you know there were a couple games eleven to four and some four to two, two to one. Dodgers, White Sox. No, the longest game was two hours and three minutes. Let me tell
1: you, I saw, this is so great, maybe I made a copy of it, I hope I did, but there exists a story that was in, I think, the Chicago Tribune, like in 1955, and the whole point of this story was, baseball is going to have to do something, because the length of the game, games are now longer than two hours, and it's too long. I mean, you know, when games are an hour and 43 minutes and 151, and so they had a whole – this is the breakdown of how many games were over two hours long, and they were concerned then. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Two hours and 12 minutes, we're in there and out, and it's really hopping, so let's go.
0: The good old days, baby.
1: Yeah. First game I ever did.
0: White Sox attendance, (laughs) (laughs) 7,240. Yeah. Tickets were two bucks.
1: Yeah, exactly. Go figure. Yeah. I know the first game I did, and in, in, it was like a fill-in audition in 1976 at Wrigley Field, Cubs and the Astros. And uh, it was like two hours and 17 minutes. And it was uh, Rick Russell and uh, J.R. Richard. And bang, 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 let's go.
0: Yeah, and, God love okay. great. That's great. Before I let you go, Hall of Fame, who do you think gets in? <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a change of pace?
1: Yeah, really, really. On, maybe. I know, I know. I, why, do you have a favorite, or what, do you, what are you
0: thinking? Uh, look, it's my show. What are you at? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was so happy that Gil Hodges and Minnie Minoso and Tony Oliva got in, and Buck O'Neill from Kansas City should have yeah. gotten in a long time ago. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think it's always more fun rather than, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a favorite. I don't, I, I say, look, if Ortiz gets in, then Sosa, Clemens, they all ought to get in. But the thing that I always like to go back and talk about is guys, Fred McGriff, why isn't he in the hall of fame? Tommy John, 288 wins. Yeah. Doesn't even get a sniff. Yeah. The veterans committee and, How did the Dodgers lose a game with Gil Hodges and Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson and Roy Campanella? Really? I mean, I love baseball back then. I know we're getting old, but um, I I think that um, I don't have a favorite. You know, it's kind of—is this the mushy era where all these guys were watered down? I don't know. Um, Well, you know, Tony Kubek. I got—I looked at his card and thought of you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, hey, they, and and here's the other deal too. Now, um, the the way you evaluate players, you know, it 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 has changed, and you you could have guys who did not have giant numbers, but who still belong in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So it's not a numbers game.
0: No, it shouldn't be. Mean, and now the way they take guys out in the fifth inning. Uh, you know, the game's changed. It's evolved. I get it. I get it. I listened to uh, Jim Palmer on some show while I was driving home from uh, lunch today with my son. And, and, you know, Palmer said, I just, whenever I'm broadcasting, I just really try to resist going back to the old days, how it was back then, how Cuellar was, how I was, how baseball was. And, you know, he, he can't
1: uh, help it. He, he is can't... one of our favorite guys. When we go to Baltimore, he is the reason to go to Baltimore because he'll come over to our booth. His memory is photographic. He can tell you, you pick a date, and the start he made against the Detroit Tigers, and he will go through that game hitter by hitter. He's unbelievable. I mean, we have him like if we have to fill in the postgame, we go, wait, Jim Palmer is going to come in, and we just like put him in between B.A. and me, and we just let him go. Oh, he is,
0: fun. and as Nelly would say, the boy don't know when to shut up. I mean, he doesn't <laughs> ah, These guys, these That's guys, absolutely tell, right. You could tell <laughs> in their ear. The producer director saying, "Cut! We got to get to a commercial." And they were, hey, Jim, uh, has really learned a few things. Oh, you know, and then Palmer would, you know, say, "Oh, you're just saying that." They go, "No, no, really, it was great, very instructive on some ear." And then he'd go ten more minutes. Oh, absolutely!
1: About yeah, and he'll tell you. You think you're like, hey, Jamie, if you think you learned something from me today, let me tell you what I did when Mike Quayar. What I taught him, and yeah. and it's it's great stuff. Yeah, I mean, and it's all detailed and the whole,
0: oh, the whole deal. He had he was just off the top of his head. He was, he was talking about a game where Eddie Murray and Singleton both got hits, and it you know something was significant about the, you know. You're right. I mean, and I, I've, I've met him once or twice. I've never listened to him like that, but what a, what a, you know, that's the great thing. There's so many guys that just love the game and don't care about the money, but they like to just talk about it. And, you know, our good friend Nelly was, God, yeah. he, was he was totally that way. Travel. Are you guys going to get to travel this year?
1: Well, I don't know. We'll see. You know, I mean, everything's kind of up in the air. Yeah. Um, you know, I like, you know, I think, uh, who was it? Uh, one, of the, one of the major sports now are, are saying, hey, uh, you know, uh, we're going to open things up a little bit, which would be great, I think. Uh, you know, and here's a concern that, that I would have about travel. As locked down as Canada has been, Yeah, you get to Toronto and you get a temperature Oh, you got to be locked down, and they put you in a room at a hotel for ten days. Can't see anybody. You don't know who could take care of you or not. They're gonna have a doctor. Uh, that's a that's scary stuff. Right. Like there, so I
0: agree with um, you. Yeah. And yeah. I know
1: that, like, you know, we were on the road last year. We did all those games from a studio at home. Yeah, proving that we could do it.
0: Right. And
1: and our the our hockey guys. We're on the road. They have pulled them off the road, so they're back to doing games, road games in the studio. And I, you know, those those decisions are made by people far more intelligent than I am, and you know, that's the whole executive crew. So I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, I I would I would be very cautious about that for those reasons. Right. I mean, what's right. the point? You know they, they put our hockey guys on. Now they pulled them off. Less, and hey, and, and you know we're talking a couple of months down the road, right. providing that these the sides get together. So I'm I'm not in. let let's just put it this way. I am not in a hurry to get back on the road right now.
0: Well, here's and, the point. Here's here's the point. I think it's my turn to buy dinner in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the point, man. Well, I that, hey, dinner. listen. Huh?
1: Okay. Well, here's the deal. If if we're on the road, I think when we go to Chicago, I think the schedule has us there for a week. A series against the Cubs and a series against the White Sox. And if you come up, I'll let you buy every night. There
0: you go. I'll, <laughs> a, I'll even provide you with uh, room and board if you need it out in Oakbrook, where you get away from the city. Now that would be right. It's, <laughs> let's catch up let's not uh, take so long this time in between uh in between conversations it's uh, sounds
1: great sounds great right. we'll do
0: it and uh i'm going to put you on hold and and before i talk to the rest of the listening public i'm going to just uh uh tell my producer to play a little music